the book we're working through uh, together as a church family at the moment. So um, if you turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 6 uh, through to 14. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 to 14. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Great. So we're continuing on in the study of the book of Galatians. We're looking through this this book. And just to, um, if you've not been with us uh, over the last few weeks, just to give you a quick recap of what's been going on. Um, The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the churches in an area called Galatia. And there he's been saying to them, look, there is this one true gospel. There's only one gospel. That is something that Paul received from Christ Jesus himself through revelation. It's not a gospel of human origin. But the problem we've seen is that there is, there's, there's this move that the Galatians are making to go and turn away from this gospel to no gospel at all. And we saw that with the, the story of Peter and Paul. That question of who do you eat with? Peter started withdrawing from the Gentiles to eat Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to eat with those from the circumcision party, the Jewish people. He started to drift from this true gospel to the no gospel. And last week we saw Paul challenging the Galatians, look, don't move from that gospel. Don't move from where you started. You saw that in verse 3, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The gospel, the, the Galatians may have received the gospel initially, but they were now veering away towards a gospel of the flesh, of human origin, of no gospel at all. And, th- and Paul, to this afternoon, is delving into this deeper. He's really pushing for the Galatians. In many ways, the, the passage today is quite dense as we read it. There's a lot of Old Testament text in there. But it's dense because it unpacks the key dynamic of what it means to live according to this one true gospel. That's what we're going to see this afternoon. And the way we're going to think about it is, we're going to sort of frame it in this way. I want us to think of that there are two teams. There are two teams uh, in this passage. It's like when I was a kid a, a few decades ago. Um, I remember being in the playground with my friends, and they were like, oh, which football team are you going to support? And at that time, there were only two real teams, Man United and Arsenal. It's very different now. But this is way back when. Um, and you had to choose. And depending on who you choose, at the end of the season, you and a small group of your friends would either be celebrating or crying. 
you'd either be blessed or cursed in a way. That is what it's like this afternoon. There are two teams. One team is called Team Abraham, and the other team is called Team Law. One is going to be blessed, the other cursed. And Paul is going to address and reveal why it matters which team you're a part of. That's the question for us this afternoon. Which team are you going to be a part of? Whether you call yourself a Christian this afternoon, whether you've been a Christian for many years, this is a key question. You're going to be a part of one team or the other when you stand before God. Which team are you going to be a part of? So let's look at Team Abraham. So focusing on verses 6 to 9. Team Abraham, what does this team look like? Historically, the Jews would have thought they were on Team Abraham. By association. He's their great, 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 great grandfather. The forefather. He's the one right at the start of the Bible who received this immense promise from God. So they naturally would have thought, ah, we're entitled to be on Team Abraham. And Team Abraham was all about blessing. Being on Team Abraham meant you received the same blessing that he had received from God himself. You see that in verse 9? So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. That's what they would have believed they had. And here is Paul challenging that thinking. Are you sure you're on Team Abraham? There's this real confusion among the Galatians at this moment. They have this historical and ethnic pride. The Jewish Christians in Galatia from this circumcision group believed they were the true descendants of Abraham. And they wanted everyone else to believe that as well. And they were saying the true descendants of Abraham must get circumcised. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, it means the men needed to have their foreskin removed. That's part of the Jewish law from way back then. What they were arguing was this. You had to do something to be a part of Team Abraham. And this is what Paul wants to clarify to the Galatians. How do you end up on Team Abraham? How do you receive this blessing that flows down from Abraham? To put it another way, the question that Paul is really asking is this. Was Abraham a man of works or a man of faith? Was Abraham somebody who relied on his own human effort, which is sort of what circumcision represents, or was he somebody who trusted in God's promise? They all knew the story. Abraham was the father of God's promise. Right back at the start of the Bible, God chooses a people for himself, and it starts with Abraham. He promises Abraham, hey, look, you're going to be the father of many nations, of all the nations, in a land that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to bless you. I'll be with you. Your descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. There's a problem for Abraham. He and his wife were really old. And by old, I mean not my old. I mean, Abraham was almost 100. Sarah was almost 90, and they still had no son, no heir. Where would the descendants come from? It seemed impossible. With the odds stacked clearly against him, what would Abraham do? And Paul wants to make it so clear right from the off. He doesn't dive into details. He just goes straight for it. Verse 6, quoting from Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was called righteous before God. He was given the status of being counted right with God. Being one of God's. Why? Not because of circumcision, not because of what he did, but because of his faith. Because he trusted God's promise. There's no other reason that he is righteous in God's eyes. That is the defining feature of being on Team Abraham. 
See that in verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Anybody who wanted to be on this team, the key way in was to be somebody who trusts in God's promises. It's as simple as that. It's not about who came first historically. It's not about your cultural or ethnic background. It's not about whether you're circumcised or not. Those on the team are defined by faith, not by anything else. And in case there's any doubt, Paul unpacks what was going on with Abraham even further. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the nations, by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This is, if you actually read this, this is stunning. See, when we think about the gospel, we normally think the gospel being announced, that's the time of Jesus. That's the New Testament era. We think of that's when he comes, he dies, he's resurrected. Or when Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. But what Paul, look at what Paul is saying here. When God gave that promise to Abraham way back in Genesis, millennia before Jesus came, Paul saying that God was announcing the gospel to Abraham in advance. Even at that point in history, God was making it clear. Through faith in God's promise, God was going to justify, make right, call the Gentiles righteous through his gospel proclaimed in the time of Abraham. See, here's the beauty of it. A couple of weeks ago, we were establishing that there is only one true gospel. There isn't a a gospel for the Jews and a gospel for the Gentiles over here. This week, it's almost as though we're reestablishing the gospel across time. There isn't one gospel back in the Old Testament and another in the New Testament. It's a gospel of faith in both. The same gospel was, was proclaimed to Abraham back then as it is to Paul, as it's proclaimed today in the church. That God, by faith alone, will justify, will count right people from every nation. By faith alone in God's promise, anybody can join Team Abraham. Now imagine being a Gentile in Galatia at that point in time, surrounded by these people telling you, look, you need to be circumcised to be a true child of Abraham. You need to do all this stuff to be a a true, true Christian. And then you hear Paul say this, no. Do you know what, you Gentiles? You are part of the promise right from the start. God's plan has always been to call you righteous by faith in him, in his promises. That has never changed. You don't need to become Jewish. You don't need to be circumcised. Believe in what you've heard. Trust God's promise. That is how you're on Team Abraham today. And those in Team Abraham, verse 9, are blessed, as you've just seen. Those who rely on faith, those who trust in God's promises and nothing else, they are the ones who are blessed along with Abraham. And so Paul is asking the Galatians, do you you realize Abraham was a man of faith? Do you see that right at the end of verse 9? With Abraham, the man of faith just in case you missed it. So that's Team Abraham. But here's the problem. Here's what's actually going on in Galatia. There's another team called Team Law. See, the real issue was that they had moved from Team Abraham into Team Law. Paul wants to say to the Galatians, hey, look, you think you're playing for Team Abraham, but actually you're not. You're playing for a completely different team. What does he mean? Well, let's try and work through his logic. This, this part's a little bit dense, but we'll work through this together. Because actually what Paul is saying is, is fairly simple. I hope you see that. Basic headline, in contrast to Team Abraham, if Team Abraham was all about relying on faith, Team Law is all about relying on the works of the law. 
What does Paul actually mean by that? Well, look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. The book of the law that most likely refers to the whole Mosaic law back in in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments plus all the other ones that come alongside. Now, in many ways, the law was a marker for the people of God to show how God has rescued them and how they're supposed to live distinctly relative to other nations. But Paul actually never says there's an issue with the law itself. Paul here is very specific. Did you notice it as you read through? He says it in verse 10. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. He says it again in verse 12. The person who does these things will live by them. It's all about doing, relying on the works of the law. It's all about human effort in doing and fulfilling the law. In other words, team law is all about justifying yourself, proving yourself right through your own efforts. It's them saying, look, if you keep the law fully, you're going to be righteous. But here's the problem. Verse 10, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26, the verse that Tom actually started the service with. And that is a verse that sort of summarizes all the other laws. It captures the essence of where you end up with the works of the law. And it's simply this. If you fail to do everything in the law, you are cursed. That is what he's saying in verse 10. How many of you have ever taken a test in your life? Come on, everybody's taken a test, right? You're at school, whatever, driving test, food hygiene test if you're on the catering team. You've done all sorts of tests. There's always a pass mark, right? Some sort of pass mark, you know, say 70%. That means there's 30%, there's a leeway of 30% to, to get things wrong. And as you go through life, there, there, I found it really interesting. Every um, exam is slightly different. Uh, I went to university, and at university, it was 40% was the pass mark. I was like, wow, this is a dream. And it's incredible how close you can get to the pass mark with every single test you take in your life. That's my experience. Um, but here's the problem with the law. With the law, it's 100% every time. There is no leeway. If you want to live by the law, then you have to do everything perfectly, every time, with every detail. Paul's conclusion is this. All who rely on doing the law in their own strength, through their own efforts, are cursed because it's impossible to keep them. He has first-hand experience of this. He was one who was excelling in studies in Judaism. He would have known just how hard it is to keep the law. He knows as creatures... Trying to keep the law given by the perfect creator, God, is impossible. Now, at this point, if you're thinking, well, so why did God give the law? Then come back next week, because that's where we are next week. But here in this passage, what he's establishing is this, that it is impossible to keep the law. Now, let me try and illustrate this for you. The law is like walking on thin ice. It's fragile. One wrong step, one crack, and you're done, you're in, you fall in. And so you're constantly walking tentatively, always in fear, always unsure, anxious that your next step might be it, and you fall into God's judgment. That is what, that's the picture. It's impossible to keep the law. That is what Paul is making so clear. And he's saying, look, you will be judged. You are cursed if you're trying to keep the law through human effort. You will be judged, and God will find you wanting. Let's carry on through his his argument. Verse 11, he gives another angle on this issue. 
Verse 11 says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Here's what he's saying. Nobody is justified. Nobody is in right standing before, before God. No one's righteous. Not only because they fail to keep God's law in verse 10, but because God makes it clear through this prophet Habakkuk in verse 11, that it's only those who live by faith who are called righteous. He's sort of reiterating what he said to Ab- about Abraham. The only way to be righteous before God is by faith, not by the law. You can't get right with God through rules. If you try, you will end up cursed and unrighteous. The only way to be called righteous is by faith. And in verse 12, he gives a third angle on it. Here he quotes from the book of Leviticus. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Here's what Paul's saying. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, where this comes from, it says the person who does all that it says in the law will live, will find life. Under law, it's not a life of faith, it's a life of doing. And if you want to go that way, if you want to find life that way, you have to keep the law fully and perfectly. But he's already made it clear in verse 10, that is impossible. Through the same logic, Paul is saying, look, you cannot get life through the law, it is impossible. Okay, that's the hard work done. Right, now come back with me. Do you see what Paul is saying here in those three verses? He's essentially saying this, team law is cursed. They fall short. They are unrighteous, and they cannot gain life. That is what the cursed life looks like. That is what it looks like to sit under God's judgment, cursed, unrighteous, and without life. So here's the question then. Here are the two teams. You have Team Abraham over here, blessed, righteous, and full of life. Team Law over here, who are cursed, unrighteous, without life. Which team do you want to be part of? Team Abraham or Team Law? Surely you're not thinking that over. It's a no-brainer, right? Surely. But here's the problem. The Galatians had built their allegiance with Team Law. Where they'd once started with Team Abraham, they had jumped ship aboard a sinking one. Who has bewitched you? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The real problem is, I think we do this all the time. There is this incessant desire in our hearts to justify ourselves, to prove to ourselves, to prove to other people, and ultimately to prove to God that I am worthy. There is this desire in our hearts to not feel indebted to others, and dare I say it, indebted to God. To be able to say, thank you, but I can do it. I can take it from here. I'll be honest with you, this week, as I prepared this sermon, I found it really hard. I find it actually one of the hardest that I've tried to preach. Do you know why? It wasn't because I was trying to get my head around the text. I think I got there. I hope you agree with me. But what I realized more and more throughout the week, this is why I find it hard, because I found my heart didn't want to admit I'm like this. Because by default, I didn't want to admit that this is what I do. I didn't want to admit that even as I prepared this sermon in my twisted way, I have this desire to want to prove myself to you and to God that I am worthy. That actually I want God to be indebted to me for what I'm doing for him. But the flip side of it is that it's also crippling because then I'm thinking, what, what, if, what if I fail? 
What if I don't get it right? Rock in a hard place, right? Nowhere to go. And that is a taste of the curse of human effort, of the works of the law. Let me show you another way we could see this. Let's, uh, let's flog that walking on ice metaphor. We might as well. Let's see how much we can get out of it. I think when you, walk, when you see people walking across thin ice, there are two types of people. There are gliders and there are sinkers. Here are the gliders. They tend to just seem to just kind of get far, quite far across, perhaps more than most. They look at others floundering, and you get the sense that they've, they've sort of got it sorted. There's a sense that they're important. They know something. People want them. They need them. They sort of seem to say, if only you could glide like me. Those are the sort of people that are doing a Galatians to the people here. Subtly implying that you need to do a certain thing, live a certain way to really be a child of God. Do you see how living that way as a glider, you start to make others indebted to you, God indebted to you. You make people feel lesser on the outside because they don't do or have something that you have. Then you've got the sinkers who don't seem to make it far across at all. They're constantly filled with despair. We sort of looked at this last week, this feeling of rubbishness, where too often you have this sinking feeling in your heart. You look to others, you look to these gliders, and you think, I just can't do that. I can't do the things that they do. You look through God's law, as Tom was saying, and you, you think, oh man, I've messed up again and again. And you feel like the lesser, like the outsider. You feel like you're failing at this Christian thing. And how could God love you at all? Let me tell you, both those groups of people, gliders and sinkers, are sitting together under the curse of the works of the law, under the curse of human effort. That are pride on the one hand, pride that wants others and God to be indebted to you, and despair on the other hand, one that says, God could never love me. Both groups, all of us need to hear where Paul takes us to in this final bit of this passage. And can I just say at this point, if you're sitting here this afternoon and you're sort of looking into Christian things, you're trying to figure things out, you might look at this and think, oh man, it sounds like Christianity is for the weak, people who can't help themselves. And you might often hear that phrase, Christianity is a crutch. But notice, Paul, that is not what Paul is saying. The Bible doesn't speak like that. The Bible doesn't say you, you need a crutch. No, it says you need to know that you sit under a curse. Because without God, we spend our entire lives trying to justify ourselves and you will always fall short. You will never be able to live up to the standards of God's laws, let alone other people, frankly. So what Paul is saying, look, all of us, the gliders, the sinkers, the Galatians, us here today, Christian or non, all of us need to, to know how to live. How can we join Team Abraham? And there's only one way. Only by faith in the one who became a curse for us. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a pole. Now here's what's hap what happens in the Old Testament. In the law, this is what happens, taken from Deuteronomy. When you did something that deserved capital punishment, you would typically be stoned to death. And then they would take your body and stick it up on a pole or on a tree to hang so that everybody would see it. 
And it was like to deter you, do not live that way. That is a cursed way to live. If you live that way, that is how you're going to end up. That was the whole point of it. You have to get this. If we, keep, if we fail to keep God's law, his standards, there is only one way we end up. We saw that in verse 10. Cursed under his judgment. This is Genesis 3 sort of language. There God told the first human beings, Adam and Eve, like eat of everything, but just keep one law, one rule. Don't eat from the tree of good and evil. And what do they do? They do exactly that. And the consequence was this. God said, you shall surely die on that day. See, when we fail to keep God's law, ultimately we will face death. That is the result. That is what the cursed life looks like. But here is why the Christian news is called good news. Here is why the Christian news is the greatest news you could ever receive. Because Paul says it here, there is one who came to take that curse. There is someone who came to be hung on a pole instead of us. And in the middle of this verse 13, there are two of the most comforting words you find in Scripture. These are two tiny words. For us. Jesus came exactly for us, for people like you and me. He was crucified and hung on a tree so we wouldn't have to be. Here is God's promise for us today. If today you trust that by faith in Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, the curse is lifted, that you are no longer under the curse of judgment, then that for us is for you. But notice another little detail as well. He doesn't just come to take that curse for us. Do you see what Paul actually says? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He becomes everything you and I need. He becomes and steps into history for everybody who's done wrong, everybody who's failed God, who's stepped through the ice and fallen. For all of us who once stood under a curse, Christ became that curse for us. And that means there is no more condemnation. He doesn't sit there pointing his finger saying, oh, you messed up, now I'm going to save you. No, he stretches out his arms to embrace us and say, no, this is how much I love you. And see the flip side, verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. He becomes a curse so that we might become blessed that we might be called righteous. No condemnation, but blessing. It's showing that what Paul is doing, he's showing us what happens on the pole, on the cross when Jesus was hung up. When he went to the cross to die, he took our place. He is our substitute. He comes and he swaps places for us. And there is a double effect. Imagine, okay, imagine, imagine you had 10 million pounds. Wow. But 10 million pounds in debt. Ooh. And the interest is 1,000% per year. Good luck with that. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't come to take that debt on and then set your account back to zero. That is not what Jesus is doing. It's not like he takes you out of team law and then says, okay, here you go. You're neutral territory now. You figure out your way from here. It's not just a fresh start that Jesus gives. He takes on the fullness of the curse. He becomes cursed and instead gives us the fullness of 
his righteousness. He takes that debt, but then also fills our account. He takes us out of team law and brings us and carries us into team Abraham. That is what Jesus is doing. So that by faith, we can be counted as righteous, just like Abraham was. So that we, by faith in Christ, in, through Abraham's great, 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 great descendant, can also be called righteous as God's children. Same gospel, same instrument, faith in the promise of God. It's only through faith in Christ that the curse is lifted. It's only by faith that we can join team Abraham and receive that same blessing. Jesus paid it all. We owe him everything. We are indebted to him, and he is not indebted to us in any way. Let's try and, let's, let's try and kind of bring this home. What does this mean for us? Okay, come back to the ice. Last time, I promise. For some of us who have that tendency to be like that glider, let me warn you that pride is a dangerous thing that makes you feel entitled, that, that God and others should be indebted to you. Then you need to remember that Christ became a curse for you, that he redeemed you, that there is nothing for you to boast in except in the cross of Christ. We don't guard against pride through our own efforts. We don't just resolve to be less proud and more humble. That is not how it works. No, we get in view the cross of Christ once again. We see how our achievements and our effort ultimately will never lead to righteousness before God, only curse. And so we come back to Jesus, the one who became cursed for us. We find joy and confidence only in him. For the sinkers who, who have a tendency to, to feel more despair, same thing. Remember, Christ became a curse for you and redeemed you. Where you feel like you, or, or think you failed, where the day hasn't gone to plan, where you feel unworthy, where you've slipped into sin once again and you feel trapped, remember this, Christ died for you. He became a curse for you. He took on the curse of self-righteousness, all your failed efforts to redeem yourself, which can actually so often be psychologically and emotionally so crippling. And he took that all upon himself to say, you know what? God loves you. That is your status now. That in Christ, you are forgiven, redeemed, and blessed. You're no longer crippled by curse, but freed by Christ. And that isn't contingent on your performance, but on you trusting in God's promise to you. And whether you tend to glide or sink, or you go between those two, you need to remember Jesus paid it all. He became a curse for us. And so today we live in his righteousness. By faith in what Jesus has done, we are able to join team Abraham. And each of us can receive that same blessing he received. By faith in Christ, we can now receive the Spirit promised to us that God, the God, the creator of the universe, can dwell in such imperfect creatures like us. By faith in Christ, we are together as a church, united, not by our own efforts, but by faith in Christ and his spirit living in each of us. That is exactly why we worship. That's why Jesus is the center of our lives. That's why Tom kept pointing us to Jesus at the start. That is why he's the only hope. It's all Jesus. It's not Jesus, then me. It's not Jesus, then back to human effort. That will only lead you back to a life of curse. No, it's Jesus from start to finish. He has set us free and redeemed us from the curse. It's all him.
And I pray that you remember that not just today, not just this afternoon, but every day as you head into work, as you go to study, at whatever you're doing, freedom in Christ. He became a curse for me. And may that give us a big view of Jesus. May that show us how glorious Jesus is of what he's done, of all that he's done. And may that remind us that in Christ, by faith, we are redeemed, we are free, and we are blessed. Let's pray together. Father, we want to give you all the glory because of Jesus. Because Jesus came, Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, to free us from the chains of our own self-justification, our own human effort, to know that in Christ we are free, we are called your children, we have the blessing promised to Abraham, your spirit lives in us. Father, help us to see that. Help us to live by that. Help us to live in faith in the promises that you give that are so good. Help us to remember that it's all Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.